We're in a series titled A Lasting Legacy, and we have been, for the past couple weeks, talking about a legacy in our lives and how, to, how that just provides not only a sound, found, sound foundation for us, but also for those who come after us. Last weekend, we talked about leaving a legacy of faith and trust because you can't build a solid legacy without faith and without trust. Today, we want to examine how leaving a legacy of obedience is pertinent for those who follow us and what we pass on to them. What's the first thing that you remember about Adam and Eve? When I say their names, probably that good old disobedience around that apple tree. (laughs) And then you can go on and name other biblical characters and even modern day people. Maybe in our disobedience, they're remembered for that one thing. And it's tragic. Unfortunately, uh, the world says, well, that's your legacy. When there could be so much more to a person. And we've talked about the fact that decisions that we make today have lasting impact on our tomorrows. We leave a legacy of obedience or disobedience to God. This affects our lives and the lives of those around us. The mark you make in the world will not be based on the success of your wealth or, your, or, or anything else materially, but on your willingness to act on the truth of God and allow the ministry of the Holy Spirit to help when it comes to obedience. We see in scriptures, uh, the scripture, a single thread sewn throughout the story and it's made up of obedience and disobedience. Obedience to God, my friends, is the surest way that leave a legacy you'll be proud of for years and years and years. Think about that word, obey. Isn't that a weird word? Obey, obey. It's a little four-letter word. It's simple to say, but it has a very profound impact. It's the linchpin of your legacy, obey. It's the primary way our faith is both tested and affirmed. Our scripture today is from Genesis chapter 22. And we see the details of a person that obeyed. And it's a part of his legacy. He's a hero in the faith. Genesis 22, and we're going to talk this morning about Abraham. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. He had cut enough wood for the burnt offering. He had set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We'll worship and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. The two of them were together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, 
Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. We read from the get-go that God was testing Abraham. The reader, you and I who saw it on the screen or in our Bibles there, we know that Abraham is being tested. Abraham doesn't. He simply says, here I am. There's always a test before obedience isn't there. Abraham received a commandment from God that must have just broken and wrenched his heart. Take your son Isaac, sacrifice him. Abraham could have screamed back, (laughs) Heck no, God, are you kidding me? I thought you were not a God that required human sacrifice. However, Abraham, he doesn't say a word, my friends. No doubt that night before when, when God talked to him about this, he must have thought to himself, there's no way I can return home without Isaac. Sarah will die of heartbreak. Yet Abraham, he didn't complain. He didn't argue with God's instructions. There's no talking back to God. So we see early the next morning, he took Isaac and a couple servants and he headed for Moriah. Isaac was at least nine years old, maybe even up to 13 years old. And the boy asks his, his father this heart-rendering question, Father, the fire and wood are here, but where's the ram? Where's the lamb for the uh, burnt offering? Abraham must have swallowed hard and tried to compose himself before replying, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Do you hear Abraham's echoings of trust and obey? Verse 5 reveals Abraham's still hope that God would save or restore his son's life. He says to his servants, he says, that he says, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there and we'll worship and then we'll come back to you. So he's already assuming, hopefully, hopefully. And again, you hear that trust and obey. Now we see the obedience of Abraham ultimately tested in verses 9 through 14. Let's look at this together. When he reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there. He arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand. He took a knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. On top of that mountain, Abraham built an altar, my friends. He tied up his son, Isaac. He placed him on that wood. He raised the knife, possibly covering the eyes of Isaac 
This is hard to read, isn't it? And then we hear the voice cry out from heaven. And the specifics of it are stop. Don't do this. We may be shocked by this story. We may question the existence of a good God when we hear this. But notice that the person who was asked to do the most suffering, Abraham, never questioned God's motives. He never questioned God's goodness. The man at the heart of the matter completely trusted in God. And above all, he was obedient. Most likely, in relief, after this was over, Abraham probably fell to the ground in just utter emotional exhaustion. He quickly unbound his son. He removed him from that altar. He looked up, and what happens? God does provide. There was a ram that was caught in that thicket. The horns caught, and he went over, and he slayed that ram, and he burnt that as a burnt offering, a sacrifice for the Lord. Let's finish the scripture, in le- in the scripture lesson in verse 15 through 19. It says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. The Lord was testing. He knew how Abraham adored that boy. God wanted to be sure, I think, that Abraham's allegiance to God was greater than the love he had for his son. In Scripture, Abraham was the only person God ever asked to prove something like this. And Abraham passed this supreme test and spared us from ever facing such a test. Therefore, you know, we, we, we learn those, those songs as children and throughout our studies as Father Abraham, the descendants of many. And that became true. From this unforgettable story, I believe there are some truths for us today. First, obedience will be tested, my friends. Your obedience will be tested. God has never been shy about testing our obedience. We see it all the time also in Scripture We see accounts of Moses and Joshua, David, Solomon. That's just to name a few. He called his people to follow his will specifically sometimes. And he constantly tested. When I was in the military, there was always tests. Always. Tests of training. Computer-based training. Simulations. War simulations. All kinds of things. And they did these tests during emergencies. (laughs) Testing shows very quickly (laughs) where there's a problem, where there's a problem with you, Jonathan. So you got to get yourself straight. If there's a problem, thanks be to God, you have people who help you fix that problem and help you prepare for any scenario that can happen in the chaos of war, whereby you're prepared for any crazy situation that can come your way. 
you really show what you're worth in your salt. What is it? No. You show what you're worth. Wait a minute. You, sh- you show you are worth your salt. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> Abraham did just that. Think for a moment. Just for a moment. The huge future responsibility Abraham was given. And I believe this testing was a part of God thinking of the huge responsibility he would put upon Abraham. His descendants, all his legacy, all those who were going to follow him were going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. God needed that legacy to be rock solid. And I believe God does the same with us. He wants good people to carry on. He wants good people to be passing on legacy on and on and on into the years. Because God really wants the world to become better. Wants his kingdom to come. And he chooses us to do that through. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you'll know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything you know God's not this recreational cruise ship director just wanting to make sure that we have fun in life yeah we have to consider the joy in a in a journey of life and the joy of the Lord but God's aim is to save us and mature us and to grow us into Christ-like people people of integrity people of great character. That involves pressing on with God's help in the testing so that we lack nothing and are found blameless. Let me ask you a question. As you look back over your life and you think of the times when you did the most growing and maturing, were those periods when life was most tranquil and serene? Or were those periods of difficulty, trial? My guess is is that we do most of our growing and maturing during times of stress, difficulties, and tests. And I know that to be true in my own life as I look back. God cannot grow great people of faith unless they spend time in the school of trials at times. The school of hard knocks. Hard times refine people of faith as fire refines precious metals. If you're a follower of Jesus, just know that your faith will be tested. This world will test you. So here's another truth. God will provide as much help as you will receive. The most important help he provides is for our greatest need. And that is forgiveness help with forgiveness and salvation and our forgiveness and our wholeness and salvation you see we are people who want to rebel don't we we're bent to sinning we're kind of like that car out of alignment as it's been said one of oh gus levin used to say we're a car out of alignment we want to go into the ditch and that's what we're drawn to out of alignment because we're all tainted by sin. There's no way we can spend eternity with a perfect holy God unless that sin problem is resolved. That requires someone 
able and willing to pay for our sin. That requires someone who has no sin problem of his own. That requires someone perfect and full of love for us. That requires someone of tremendous obedience. And it is God himself in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God in human form, obediently went to the cross as a perfect sacrifice for all of our sin and all of our obedience. Disobedience, sorry. It's supposed to be disobedience and rebellion. The saga of Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah really was a preview of the cross of Calvary. God the Father, who would, who would not allow Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, was willing to sacrifice his one and only son, for us. So great is his love for us. Many centuries later, we'll hear the echoes of John the Baptist when he saw Jesus. He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that lamb didn't get caught in a thicket. That lamb walked obediently to the cross. You see, at the cross, God not only provided forgiveness and salvation, but God also provided grace sufficient for every need of ours. To call on God is to make the ultimate 911 call. God is instantly available to all believers to help in wisdom and in wonderful ways. God may not do exactly what you wish and when you want it, but God's help will be wise, loving, and timely for us. We have to be receivers of that, total receivers of that willing help. You know, there are still some mysteries in my life, and I know there must be in yours. I don't understand why God has allowed me to experience some heartbreak and pain and endure some tough tests. But I do know for a fact, one day, I believe we all thank the Lord, will thank the Lord, for every tear, for every ounce of trouble, for all the testing and turmoil, because we'll better understand then how he uses it, uses it all for our good and for his glory. As it said, we'll understand it better by and by. Until then, I just pray that God gives us a legacy like Abraham. Another truth, and the final truth, is the mystery or the ministry we see of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, inviting us to acts of obedience. Think, of a, think for a moment the fact that God asks something of us to care for a person maybe in front of us, to share a word of encouragement with a difficult person, or to pray for a neighbor, or to pray for healing for someone, or to give a sacrificial gift to someone or to the church. And we make a quiet choice to say yes. God gives us his own spirit in order to make these things happen, and in order to improve the world, like I said, through us. Working behind the scenes is the Holy Spirit encouraging and empowering and also giving us strength to face the trials and temptations that come our way. You know, and if we're struggling, we can ask the Holy Spirit in our confusion and in our weakness. Abraham's words of here I am when God uh, first speaks to him are converted to here I am 
uh, of present and accounted for to here I am to do your will. It swings into that. And here's the amazing fact. When we choose to do the will of God, God gives us personal help through his own Holy Spirit to carry out that will. Isn't that amazing to begin to think of the implications of that magnitude? Thanks be to God. When he wants his will done, he gives us the power to live out that will. My friends, God cares about your heart. He tests purity, the purity of your love and the consistency of your obedience. Others in your life see the choices you make when faced with small and big challenges, especially the big ones. Do you obey God when he says to forgive what maybe you think is the unforgivable? Do you obey him when he tells you to end an unhealthy relationship? When he tells you to confront maybe the lifestyle of a loved one? How you respond will influence those around you and the way they respond to situations and trials and tribulations in their lives. Praise God that he gives us his Holy Spirit to work in our lives, inviting us to acts of obedience. You know, I can guarantee that you'll be challenged as you submit to God in obedience. He'll probably ask you to do something you don't want to do. He may ask you to get rid of something that you don't want to get rid of. But I can promise you <laughs> that you that the, the reward will be much greater than the struggle you'll go through or the loss that you may temporarily experience. I love the liturgy of our Holy Communion. And I had to memorize it in seminary, Dr. Boyd. I had to memorize the whole great Thanksgiving. And there's some five words that are so powerful in that. The words are, Free us for joyful obedience. You ever caught that in the liturgy? You can fact check me in the hymnal there. It's there. I wrote this down. And you may want to personalize those words. Free me for joyful obedience. For me it means when the pastor proclaims we are forgiven, we are now free to discover that God deeply cares about our lives and wants the very, very best for us. And we begin to live and move and have our being through the rhythm of obedience. Whereby we know, we know God is good. And we constantly remember that God's law actually gives us freedom. And one faithful step leads to another faithful step and to another and to another and to another. And we find joy in God and doing God's will becomes joyful obedience. Life and life's test will be considered pure joy. That's crazy to even think about it. But God frees us in order for us to experience that. And I believe it. And I try to do it. Those around you, my friends, will be influenced by that, by your joyful obedience. I pray that it will become part of not only your legacy but my friends I pray that that legacy of obedience will become a part of those those who follow you will you join me in prayer dear God we thank you for the life of Abraham who 
we just can't even fathom his obedience unto you, O Lord. We know that in this life there will be tests, there will be trials, but you promise the gift and the ministry of your Holy Spirit unto us. Thank you for the power and the strength and encouragement that your Spirit gives to us. God, we know these tests will come, and we pray that you would give us readiness to face those tests in the future unafraid. As we delight in your will, And as we experience joyful obedience unto you, O Lord. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.